0: And welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more life. Well, good morning, church. It's a joy to be with you today. Um, Bob by Burt Palmer, if I haven't had a chance to meet many of you um pastor here at Kingwood United Methodist Church, and as we Move into the summer months in our series. We like to move around the different voices, get the chance to see different folks. And if you need a kiddo to head out to Children's Church, now's the time to go. Speak now or forever hold your peace. So, but Miss Karen's leading them out. You can go out anytime you want. There is an age limit, though. So, Ryan, you can't go to Children's Church. Okay? Stay in your spot. We're in the midst of this series that um, is Ecclesiastes about an open handed life. Um, The reason we picked that title was sometimes we go through life, and if we clench it too tightly, uh, we can't receive anything. The opening words of Ecclesiastes, if you've got your Bible, uh, in the NIV, it'll say meaningless. Uh, In the RSV, it'll say vanity. But really, that word meaningless isn't a good clue. I mean, meaningless in our culture today is kind of like uh, obedience for cats. It just doesn't exist. The real word in Hebrew is Havel." And what the word means is most easily attributed to this. It's smoke or vapor. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about how you can try to grasp the smoke, but you know it's really there, but there's not. And this is what is said over 40 times. In the book by the preacher or the teacher, or if you remember your seminary training, Queloes took me forever to pronounce that, but now I feel a little bit of that. Why I didn't take is why I didn't take Hebrew. Yeah. And so there's a volley that happens between the teacher and the author. So there's actually two parts to this book. The author shows up in chapter one and at the end of the book as well, and in the in between is his teacher. So when you look at the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. You've got Proverbs, which are statements that you can glue your life to, if you would, right? Um, I love the one about, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. About how men need to be in relationship. Women need to be in relationship to sharpen each other's skills of ministry. Uh, There's one that says, as a water reflects a person's face, so their actions reflect what's in their hearts. Or Proverbs 3, that I just hung my hat on early in life. Lean not upon your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God, and he will direct your paths. So Proverbs' wisdom literature gives us these short sayings that we can glue our lives to. These are dependable. They're reliable. Then you get to Ecclesiastes, and you have what seems to be sort of this uh, different kind of book, but it, it's, it's meant to be a book that tells us that all of life is both a blessing and a humbling opportunity, uh, that life can... Can be understood, but I just can't grasp it completely. I'm going to use a couple passages to move us into that understanding. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 21 through 24 says this For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This is havel, meaningless vapor, and is a great misfortune. Hang on, it gets more encouraging. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. Uh, This too is havel. It's it's meaningless. Hang on. It gets better. It's going to get encouraging eventually. A person could do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. See, I told you it was getting better. This is a Methodist text. This is the biblical foundation for potluck this too I see is from the hand of God for without him who can eat or find enjoyment what you're gonna find as we tease out these texts is that the writer of Ecclesiastes the teacher is encouraging us not to live in the extremes but to recognize that there is a place in the middle not to miss so here's how it gets expressed in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 and see if you hear a repetitive theme. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. And then as Jim alluded to in his prayer, verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart and that no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So this writer is showing us that life is mystery and filled with all kinds of things. And what we're going to focus on now is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Verses 1 through 6. I invite you to turn there in your Bible or your app, or you can pay attention to the scripture that's on the screen. But would you please stand now in respect to God's word for our focused text of this day? The writer says, the teacher says, Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they had no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressor, and they had no comforter. Hang on, it's going to get encouraging eventually. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. Hang on, it's going to get encouraging eventually. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not even seen the evil that is done under the sun. Wow, what encouraging words. And I saw that all toil and achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is Havel, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Hold that screen right there. What do we say in America all the time in our culture? The grass is always greener on the other side. You see, the writer of, Hebrew, of, of Ecclesiastes is encouraging us to see envy and wanting what someone else has got isn't going to get you there either. Next text, verse 5. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. And hang on to this text. If you've got your Bible and a pen, underline this one. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Read that with me from the word better. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and let's pray together. God, thank you for the wisdom of the writer of Ecclesiastes. Would you open our hearts and minds now by the power of your Holy Spirit that where we need to be encouraged, we will hear the words of hope. Where we will need to be corrected, we will have a willingness to receive new direction. But above all, where we need to follow more faithfully the wounded healer of Galilee, Jesus the Christ who has loved us to death and he loves us to life, that will become absolutely clear to each of us. For it's in his name we gather and pray. And eventually we'll leave here and go to serve. And all of God's people did say, amen. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment. But first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC. And your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. So Ecclesiastes is more than just a series of sort of philosophical tensions and quippings about life. We, we have these little sayings that guide our lives many times, time, but there's nothing more than sort of a, a funny phrase. For example, don't wrestle with a pig. You will both get dirty, but the pig is going to like it. Fools' names and fools' faces always show up in public places. And now maybe you can complete some of the following, lie down with dogs and you're going to get, not my monkeys, not my circus. And you and army folk going out, measure twice so you cut once. And one that I saw preparing this week I'd never seen before, but has been an epitome in my marriage for a number of times and I wouldn't say this, but the one to whom I'm married sometimes does. I could agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. <laughs> so how on earth are we to find fulfillment in life, right? When life is a gift, when life is change, and life is a mystery. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about. The sense of fulfillment in life. You see, things happen that we can't control. And Ecclesiastes seeks to strip away the illusion that if we could control everything, it would bring us enjoyment in life or fulfillment. But our ability to find fulfillment in life is tied to our ability to realize we do not have control in life. I remember when our son was off to basic training and he got a phone call and he calls home and he's naturally going to talk to mom, not to dad, but dad gets to listen in. And I'm listening to the conversation, and Mike is just telling us how, how's it going? He said, Well, it's not going great. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm not in control of anything. I, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that. They tell me when to wake up. They, Welcome to the military, right? But he said, as he kind of got to a place of vulnerability? He says, I just don't feel like I have control over anything. And Sean said, like only a mother could, even to a teenage son, Oh, honey, control is just an illusion. That's wisdom. Our control is just an illusion. We think we can control things. But our problem in life, in the current context, I would suggest, is the idolatry that we practice when we either so focus on the destination that we don't have the ability to ever be appreciative of the present. I mean, we think that at some point, if I just get the right 401k balance, if I just get the right kid, if I just get the right grades, if I just get the right car, if I just get the right job, we're so focused on a destination, what we're actually doing is we're pursuing with envy and the labor something that's never going to bring anything to us. And so we miss the beauty of the present. I've done many a session with a person in... um, at the end of life. People often uh, will, in fact, it's the only time that we actually have been called in during COVID before we could voluntarily go in was when there was going to be someone removed from life support or there was an end of life issue. And and I've had those conversations, I've had it for 36 years, and, and I've never been with anybody who, as they reflect upon their life and their imminent death, has ever said, I just wish I spent more time at work. You know what they say, don't you? What they'll say when they look reflectively in their life is, I wish i had spent more time with who? Family, with the ones I loved. And so the problem that Ecclesiastes is addressing is where we begin. So are we starting at the right place? We need to start at a place that reads Ecclesiastes with humility to recognize that we have a limited period of time And to be humbled by that, but to be inspired by that as well. This is our time. As is the encouragement of Mordecai to Esther in the book of Esther. Could it be that you have been called for such a time as this? So what we need to do, I recommend, is to embrace the reality that God is in all of this. Even when you don't understand why. You don't overlook the sacred and the simple, the holy and the ordinary, and don't be overcome by the things you cannot explain. In the 8th and ninth chapter, this is what the writer will say again and again. You will not find fulfillment by trying to get everything figured out. You will not find fulfillment by simply saying, I'm going to work harder and longer, and it will all come together. Those never produce fulfillment. As Pascal puts in the 17th century philosopher, physicist, and theologian, He says it this way, and this is some heady stuff, all right? I'll admit it, but I love when I really let this sort of marinate in my brain what he's saying. We do not rest satisfied with the present. We anticipate the future as too slow in coming, as if in order to hasten its course. Or we recall the past to stop its too rapid flight. Or as we say today, every man's a legend in his own mind he goes on to say let each one examine his thoughts and he will find them all occupied with the past and the future we scarcely ever think of the present and if we think of it it is only to take light from it to arrange the future the present is never our end the past and the present are our means The future alone is our end, so we never live. But we hope to live, and as we are always preparing to be happy, it is inevitable we should never be so. Our culture sets us up for failure, thinking if we just get to a certain place or have a certain thing, life will be good. Pascal also says, and I butcher this a little bit, and I've changed it into modern English, but he basically says, everyone was created by God with a Christ-like void within their heart that only the shape of the Son of God can fill and complete them. That's Pascal, but isn't that cool imagery that you're created in the image of God, but you have this void that's in your heart, and what do you try to cram in there? Well, if I just get good grades, it doesn't fill it all the way. I mean, it kind of fits in one side, right? You got habits, you got addictions, all these things that you can kind of. Nothing fills that void except Christ alone. He's the only one that completes that. So what does the writer of Ecclesiastes say? The reason I focus on verses five and six, verse five of chapter four says, Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. So this word in the in the Hebrew for fold is not just simply a a sort of nice southern gesture of just no, it's it's an active folding or withdrawing and clasping of your hands. How do you receive a gift? Someone, You have to open your hands, don't you? You can't receive a gift like this. You can only receive a gift like this. I've often wondered, we, we don't tell our kids good stories. I mean, we tell them from an early age when they're walking through, and I understand why, so don't be critical if you're a teacher in the SLC or any environment, Right? But I'm about to do something that will tell me every person in this room who knows exactly what it's like to teach a class of four-year-olds. We're about to walk. Right? Put air in your mouth so you can't talk. Hands to your side. And keep your hands to yourself. I'm not on video, so I can walk all around this morning. We we had some video problems, so we recorded earlier and rebroadcasting. So we're all good. Right, Farmer? No, okay, I've got to get back in the light. Sorry. He said get back in the light. That'll (laughs) preach. Get back in the light. How do we teach kids to pray? Put your hands together and bow your heads. Well, Well, maybe we ought to think about the messages and do we need to do some deconstructing in the brains, right? Maybe prayer isn't about not looking anywhere and doing this. What if prayer is about opening your hands? Now look. I, I know that we're in a Methodist church and it makes some people nervous to get what I call helium hands, okay? So you don't have to do this. If you're, I, I'm comfortable with this. I'm comfortable with this. I'm comfortable with this. It doesn't bother me. I go, but when it comes to prayer, I like to even in a gentle way just open my hands in front of me because it reminds me that's how I live an open-handed life, to be open to what God's giving. That's where I'm able to recognize this may be seeming this abject failure in this moment, but is there something redeeming and beautiful that's happening that God can use for good in the midst of all that's tragic? Sure there is. You see, if you, if you believe God can't bring anything good from something, you're not doubting yourself, you're doubting God. God's always able to bring beauty from ashes I mean, he specializes in it. They sealed the tomb. They thought it was over. And if you, you know this answer even if you're a visitor and never heard the whole story. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. You see, God specializes in bringing life from death and wholeness. Verse 6 says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil. And chasing after the wind. He's simply repeating the same theme to us time and time again. Quit chasing. Be content. Realize you can change your zip code all you want. But if you don't change your heart, you don't change anything. You can move here and there. But if you don't change the appetite. And recognize that in human history, there is a group of people called hermits. They thought they could fix all this struggle, right? I'm just going to disconnect entirely, go live in a cave, nowhere with no plumbing, no air conditioning, and I'll have contact with anybody, and that will be fulfilling, won't it? Mm-mm. You can't do that. And on the other extreme, I, if I just get enough stuff, if I just have enough likes on my Facebook post, it'll be good. And it's fleeting and passing as well. So how does the New Testament understand all of this struggle? Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Now look, everybody knows 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's been sort of uh, a bumper sticker that many people use. I can remember growing up playing football um, and a coach was saying, remember guys, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Let's go kill them bulldogs. We were playing the Burt Burnett Bulldogs. You know, we were the Wichita Falls Coyotes and... At that time, as a hormone-laden teenager, yeah, you bet, Jesus on my side, let's go kill the bulldogs. That's not what the text is about at all. Listen to this triumphant moment of Philippians 4.13 on the way to it. Starting in verse 11, Paul says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in and every situation, and whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Friends, I invite you this day as we prepare to come to this table of communion to hear the words of the writer of Ecclesiastes, the Quella with the teacher, the preacher, the gatherer. Relish the beauty and the good that exists in the moment that it does. Endure the hardships and the heartache because you know that God's with you. Be humbled by the reality that no matter how good it is, it may not last, and you can't compare what God is doing now for what your eternal joy and reward will be. So my friends, come to this table with an open-handed life. God doesn't expect you to figure things out before you come to him. Coming to him is the only reliable thing in life when nothing else makes sense. (music)